This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. There are several advantages to maintaining good credit. Also, it's important to review your credit report periodically to ensure that the information it contains is accurate. Because we've had several calls recently about credit, we're going to review credit credit basics today. And as always, Nancy and Ryder are answer, we're, are ready to answer any personal finance question that you might have. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And a reminder that uh, we usually can't get to the emails on the air, but Nancy and or Ryder are very good about replies to your email. So you'll get some information that you need if you choose to use the email machine. All right, so we start the show each week with thoughts on financial items in the news. But I have one that I heard this morning and I wanted some feedback on or some thoughts. Costco is now selling one-ounce gold bars on their website. Oh, my gosh. $2,000 per pop. Oh my gosh! You know, I haven't looked at the price of those, but I wonder if it's if it's kind of market price or if they're. They it's a little, a little higher than market based on okay. what I just looked at the last couple of days on the the price per ounce mm. of gold. But you know, gold bars. Okay, fine. You can you can take them with you, haul them with you if the end comes. <laughs> but somebody has to convert them to cash or at least take them for payment, right? Uh, yes, because if you know the end of the world arrives and then you get a bit hungry and then you pull out your gold bar. You can't eat them. Then I, well, do you rub it on your belly? I don't know. That, I, I haven't. I haven't really had the had the time. No to nutritional value to experiment there. with a gold bar there. But we do learn in elementary school that it, it's non-reactive. It's it doesn't it doesn't have. There's no way. There's no way to change it. Uh, but I will say, Costco is an organization that knows their customer well. Mm, you, yes. you have a membership card, so they know your history, your behavior, et cetera. A lot of people have Costco credit cards, so they know what you're doing outside of the store even, uh, speaking of you know surveilling folks. Um, so maybe they just saw that it was something people might be interested in, knowing their demographic that shops there, knowing what they spend, knowing what they make, all of that information. And they saw the way they could buy yeah. Yeah, bar, but slap a couple dollars uh, on it and sell it again. You know, that's just appealing to folks' fears. Mm, absolutely, um, yeah. And uh, I just, you know, all of those but ads Costco's about gold. always appeal to folks' fears that they're going to run out of ground this beef. <laughs> yes. Like, why and would you, you need, buy 100 pounds? You need a case of toilet paper. <laughs> because yes. you might run out. Exactly. You don't want that to happen. That's, that's a... <clears throat> so, so, Yeah. <laughs> The uh, it was on NPR this morning, and the the one of the people they talked to said that he thought you would be better off buying one share of Costco stock than buying the gold. Agreed. Ooh. And yes. also said that if you're serious about buying gold, Costco is probably not the place to go. That's probably it's probably about the size of it. But eyeglasses, great deals on eyeglasses. <laughs> Maybe you could have gold framed eyeglasses. 
That's a possibility, yeah. And I doubt that many people will be buying gold in bulk, but who knows? Right. It, and it seems like they would have a case, you know, maybe a case discount on that. <laughs> if, you can, if you can lift the if case. If you can lift it. <laughs> so, Ryder, what's on your mind this week, financially speaking? Oh, wow. Welcome back. I'm on first. Um, so, uh, end of the quarter was, uh, the, this is the first week of a new quarter, so we just, we just wrapped up a quarter, and it was... Kind of a, a gross quarter. In, Pretty ugly. Is, it was. Yeah. It was. It was a little ugly in stocks and bonds, kind of across the board. Uh, so our main stock indexes, the S and P five hundred, we talk about a lot. The Nasdaq one hundred, uh, those were down about uh, two, three, four percent. Uh, each. So not terrible. And that's just for the quarter. Of course, those have done so well this year. Right. So even though you gave back for the quarter, we're still ahead, right? That's right. The S&P 500 is still up about 11 or 12 percent and the NASDAQ up about 35 percent. Across the board, everywhere else, international stocks, smaller companies, mid-sized companies basically gave up all their gains for the year. They were down in the quarter, and they're basically flat. They kind of range from down from a percent to up a percent, nothing to really talk about. Uh, and then even bonds were down this quarter, um, Not just to, to the broad bond indexes. Uh, bonds are a weird world in that there's so many specific um, kind of sleeves of bonds that can perform so differently from each other. Uh, and they're not looking great this year so far because we have had some interest rate increases from the Fed. I believe we had one this quarter. Uh, so that was weighing on the quarter, the in- increase in interest oh, rates. Oh, and what else could have been weighing well, on this quarter? What else could have been weighing on this been? quarter? Gosh, was there anything going on in Washington, D.C. that could have weighed on? Um, I mean, that was particularly, you did see over the last few weeks, as as talk of the shutdown grew and grew and grew and grew, uh, that was when the sharpest declines we had this year. And, and it's all kind of silly. I know you know hearing it constantly on the radio, but we did have the big debt ceiling deal in the beginning of the year, which was actually kind of nice. I kind of hoped that that would everyone would be happy because we're capping spending for years and years. Um, but uh, look at look at me. I'm so so young and and tender here in the political <laughs> I, world. I'm just excited <laughs> we're going to still have Fat Bear Week this week. You know, that was uh, in the balance with the shutdown and okay. all those RVers out there looking for the change of colors will be able to get into their parks uh, and use mm. all the facilities. That's, that's, that's very important. That's a um, good point. So we have we have the government still functioning. Of course, we've got a about. 43 days Mm -hmm. left in this reprieve uh, before they will start uh, going down that road again. Um, But that whole issue of dysfunction weighs on markets because Mm -hmm. it introduces uncertainty. Right. Uh, So, Nancy, anything else that uh, caught your attention this week? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Kevin, we had a luncheon, a CFA for uh, CFA luncheon this past week, and they bring in presenters and um, wonderful economists with all kinds of charts and graphs and talking about the Federal Reserve and talking about reading the tea leaves and what's happening with the economy and the markets. And uh, Dr. Walter Neely was present there. He is a former finance professor from Millsaps, and he summed it all up by saying, so the Federal Reserve doesn't know what's going on, and you don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's happening. So all of this data still 
does not explain our behavior because it looks like we would be slowing down our spending with rising interest rates and with sucking up all the cash and savings in the system. But our spending is still pretty healthy. And you were just telling us before the show started about a trip to Memphis. That's what we're still spending on our experiences, hospitality areas, eating out. All of that is still happening and fueling prices somewhat, but fueling the economy overall. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Before our first break, we have a caller to get to. So we're off to Kosciuszko. Bubba has called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. So go ahead. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I think a lot of people know, but a lot of people don't know, that there is a movement afoot to legalize investment in our agricultural land. That's timberland, farmland, pasture land. Uh, the legislature has formed a study committee, but I would I would like to hear who in the state that, are there people who really want to legalize uh, investment by foreign non-resident investors in our agricultural land. Um, have y'all heard about that, Nancy? Um, I know there's been a general feeling of trying to limit international investment in uh, some of our real property. Um, And that could be what's going on. Ryder, have you heard anything? Uh, So one thing, I'm I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to. As far as legalizing investment in farmland, for just regular people, we can already do it. A lot of the uh, changes in recent years have been kind of small regulatory changes or really small kind of uh, process changes about how people invest in farmland. Because, for instance, it's very difficult for me as a person just to go and buy a thousand acres of farmland and then manage the renting out of that. And, and dividing that up and securitizing that has been one of the things that people have made a lot of progress on in the last few years. But then specifically talking about foreign uh, non-resident investors. Um, I will say the only thing I've read about that recently has been in the Mississippi Market Bulletin, which is put out by the uh, Department of Agriculture and Commerce, and it was not positive on that front. They, they, were, not, they were not fans of foreign investment. Uh, I will say one thing about having foreign investment, one thing about opening up any sort of investment, any sort of investment class, any sort of stock, any sort of property to more investors means typically the value goes up. There's more money to chase that. Um, so uh, foreign uh, companies, foreign governments, do, and large foreign investors do own lots of farmland in America. I believe Canada is the largest source of uh, investment income into uh, American farmland and timberland. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know specifically where that's going legally. Okay, well, let me just tell you, in 1978, the federal government started to become aware that we might have too much foreign investment. They passed this law where all the foreign investors have to file with the Department of Agriculture. So I'm in Italic County. We have 44,000 acres of timberland that's owned by the Netherlands in our county. The Netherlands owns more timberland in Ottawa County and my neighboring Lee County than they own in their entire country. So <laughs> it's a very a, small country. you got to cut them a break there. <laughs> yeah. There's a big group of people that are realizing with currency manipulation and all such as that that 
there's so much uh, money to come over here that, what it, in our opinion, it drives a state through the heart of the entrepreneurial class that wants to buy more land. I've had farmers tell me, and tell me folks that I cannot compete with the farmers. We have a law that prohibits foreign ownership by uh, non-resident aliens, but heretofore it has not been enforced. But this task force is trying to determine if we should enforce the law, if we should have an open borders policy, or what we should do. I would be interested in what your listeners um, think about this. I am adamantly opposed to it, as Hmm. most people I talk to. But if you own a real big farm and you want to sell your farm and retire, then you might be fought. So I think that's a great point. If you are looking to buy more land, buy more assets, buy more of, of, of whatever we're talking about, things that can be bought, you would prefer less competition for buying it. You would prefer fewer people bidding on that property, and you would prefer fewer people, with, especially with a lot of money. Because let's be honest, the Netherlands – as an entity, probably has more money than uh, most of us, even if we banded together and tried to buy that farm. Uh, so as a buyer, you want less competition there so that you can get a good price. But as a seller, like you mentioned, you, 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 you've had a successful farm or you're getting out of the farming business – then yes, you you would you want a lot of people coming knocking down your doors with bids. You want a lot of people raising that price. You you love to see that, and and that's that's the dynamic there. So there's there's interests uh, on both sides clearly. All right, Tababa, thanks for the call. And uh, Liz Gill did find a, a, an article here that uh, pursuant to House Bill 280 passed by the legislature during the regular session of 23, uh, there is a study committee on foreign purchase of farmland. They held their first meeting in August. Uh, they have uh, till December 1st to develop and report their findings to the legislature. So that's uh, coming up here in just a couple of months. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. An archive of all our past shows is at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. To listen to the podcast, search for Money Talks on any podcasting app. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Today we're looking for your personal finance questions, but we're also discussing credit. So... Maybe an answer from both of you on this one or whoever wants to go first. Why is it important to maintain good credit? Because you need it for just about everything. Uh, You need it even if you're not taking out a loan. You just want to rent uh, a place to live. They're going to check your credit. Your utility companies are going to check your credit. Um, But certainly if you want to open any type of credit account, whether it's just a credit card or buy a car or buy a house, you need a good credit score to get the cheapest interest rate or to even just get qualified. That's basically it. That's correct. Uh, Ryder, what about – the credit score categories, uh, I guess, give us just a general idea of where people might fall in on that scale. Sure. Yeah. So there's just some general ideas of kind of in the range, the full range, the general credit scores are given from 300 to 850. So uh, if anybody's telling you they've got a 900, they're not looking at the same credit score. Although there are new, they're new. We've talked about these new alternative credit scoring systems that do have different numbers on the high end or the low end. Uh, I don't know where they 
they came up with these numbers, but they did. Uh, so one thing to think about is that Obviously, if you're above 800, you've just got excellent credit. There's literally nothing ever to worry about. Nobody's going to quibble between, oh, you're only 810. I'm really looking for an 8. Nope. Nope. You're above 800. That's great. But but he has competitive credit scoring over here. I have no idea what my credit score is. I don't really know. <laughs> he likes to be the top score. Um, okay. And uh, <clears throat> however, being in the 700s, that's really great. When we've had uh, mortgage folks on before, they've kind of generally said maybe 720 or so. You're getting pretty much the best rates. You're, you're very competitive as far as getting a good mortgage. Now, I will note that 620 is a minimum for some mortgages. So that's not, doesn't sound that extreme. Um, at the upper ends of the 600 scale, so 600 to the lower ends of 700, that's just generally considered good credit. You're going to be able to get uh, credit card offers. You might not necessarily be getting the best interest rates if you're just at a, say, 680, uh, but you, you're not going to just be flat out denied uh, for most kind of standard credit cards. Uh, kind of premium credit cards uh, with a lot of features and a lot of cash back and things like that often look at a higher credit score. That's where you'd be looking at that very good credit of kind of 740 and up. Uh, but again, for a lot of the big stuff, you certainly want to be above 620 minimum for mortgages. That's kind of a good standard. Um, upper 600s, you're probably getting qualified for things. And that's once you can get qualified for things and start working on your credit and building that, you can you can go higher and higher. And know that the credit score that's the cutoff to qualify you is different depending on the type of loan. So they will expect different scores for different types of loans. And if you start to look at your credit scores across the different reporting agencies, you may find different numbers because they report them and calculate them a little differently and they may have a little bit different set of information. Don't worry about it as long as you're within the range. But if you're in the poor to fair, the like maybe 300 to say, let's say 550 or whatever, are you? You need to do some work. Because you're not. You're not going to get a loan for anything. Uh, You're going to get payday loans. And that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Do we know where most Americans fall on this scale? I don't know. All right. Maybe we could uh, get our. I mean, I could. Call screener slash producer Liz Gill to, to, to check into that, that first. Yeah. <laughs> and off yeah. she goes. Thank you, Liz. We'll see if we can come up with some information about that. Um, <clears throat> so um, I, I do know that uh, credit scores have been trending up uh, in recent years, and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, one, during the pandemic, uh, folks got well, a lot of a lot of money. A lot of them use that to pay down credit. Uh, so you saw credit. Yeah, but those credit account no, those balances are going, are going oh, up. Those are absolutely going, going back up. Those are absolutely going back up. But of course, uh, credit scores are looking backwards. So you still That's have true. some time. Uh, you know, people, the credit balances are going back up, but people haven't missed those payments quite yet. So that's still got to catch up. But people were able to pay down credit Um there was a lot of mortgage activity early on in the pandemic. So kind of, you know, if you get a good mortgage, like that's pretty solid. It it helps build your credit score in that you are paying that every month. It's not like a credit card where some people will stop using those. Um, So they have trended up recently. I I don't know if that's going to, going to be changing what with the debt situation folks are uh, accumulating and with um, student loan repayments. Oh, that's a big one. Coming back online. 
Interesting. Uh, Liz Gill did find something for us. The average credit score, this according to Business Insider, in the U.S. is 714. That's really good. That's really good. You know, I think that's going to be – have a lot of variance depending on – age, income, all of that. Um, and that's the problem with a lot of people when when you um, when you don't have the ability to buy things, you need credit, but you have to have a good score to get credit. And it's just this you vicious... You have to have an A score to get you credit. You have to have an A score. It's a vicious cycle. And Ryder mentioned uh, payday lending. We see a lot of people who get caught in that cycle. And that's and not something that's necessarily building your credit either. No. They're not necessarily, oh, yes, you know, he's paid faithfully on his pay. That, that's not... They're just taking your money. And uh, and the uh, interest rate they can charge varies by state. In Mississippi, it's quite high. I don't remember exactly what it is now. But um, uh, I, I am a free market kind of person. And uh, back to Bubba and his uh, proposal to limit um, foreign ownership of our farmland, um, that's an interference of free markets. Uh, but sometimes you do that in developing economic policies because there is some damage. Uh, certainly with payday lending, I would like to see it limited even more. At the same time, for some people, that's the only way they can get their hands on any extra cash. So to have a, a few more regulations that um, um, help people not get caught in that would be beneficial. And also with farmland, maybe we develop policies because we think it's important to promote our own people and their ability to continue in uh, the industry of agriculture. So um, you got to weigh both of those. And um, sometimes you have to intervene in the middle of all of it. So do the credit, uh, the the Credit agencies just not poll uh, payday lenders for. I mean, you don't get any bank. Well, you report um, so any you, kind yeah, of lender has to report. To and, yeah. and, a, and a payday lender. I mean, some. I, I don't. I don't know uh, how many do, how many don't. Uh, but they don't really have any incentive to because when you're charging. 300% interest, you're not particularly concerned with what somebody's credit score is. You know it's probably 300, and you're happy lending to someone with 300. So and, why and bother? And their business model builds in very high default rates. Uh, they know what kind of risk they're taking. Yeah. So they don't have a re- real reason to check your credit score on on the front end because again they're well, but my, no my question is do they not report so that the person correct. doesn't get any credit for paying back a payday loan correct okay and i mean they, they may again they may I, I don't know we could go call I, some payday lenders right now know. and ask them if they're doing that reporting but they have they have no reason to i mean right they just don't have a reason to okay. why would they i don't know if there's a system where they do that automatically i couldn't tell you Kevin, but it would seem like that might be an extra step and more work on them. And they're like, well, what the heck? Right. We're getting our money anyway. You're listening to Money Talks. It's MPB's show about your personal finance. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. 
So, uh, Nancy and Ryder, ready for any personal finance questions that you have for us this morning? Between your calls, we're talking about establishing and maintaining good credit. You can always send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And let's try to go then to Larry, who's called in from Jackson. Larry, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, sir. I had an issue with a credit card one time, and I couldn't make the payments. I defaulted on it. So the, the, the credit card balance is like about $5,000. And the bank sells this over, from what I can understand, collection agencies buy these, these debts for just a few hundred bucks. And then they file a lawsuit against me, and can, they can collect me against that 5000 debt for the rest of my life. So in a $5,000 loan, I could wind up stuck paying for that for 50 years. Is that legal? Is it constitutional? Well, um, this is pretty much standard practice on any kind of um, late bills, and we're even seeing it on a lot of medical billing, which uh, I am heartened by this proposal to carve out some of the medical billing on our credit reports. Um, Mm -hmm. But those are because cash flows are such an issue for companies. They don't let them go very long before they do sell them to a collection agency. And you are correct. They sell them for pennies on the dollar, Mm -hmm. which means that collection agency is going to bug you to death. And until you totally pay it off or come to some agreement with them, it's possible you could just come to some negotiation and say, well, I can pay this amount and then they may write it off and go their way. But anything that they collect over what they have paid for that receivable is profit to them. And um, you do still owe it. And that's the problem that a lot of people don't understand. If you've taken out that loan, Mm -hmm. you still owe that money. Um, so a couple of points you made. One, the bank sold on that debt to a debt collector. And, and, and like you've both said, um, they sold it for pennies on the dollar. That, if you are able to and willing to, of course, uh, that does make sometimes working with a debt collector, you can negotiate that down. It's, it's very likely they will take less than $5,000 because you know, they may have paid 100 bucks for that debt. And if they get 1000 from you, that's a ton of money. That's a huge profit a, yeah. for them, you know, uh, just to take care of that. Or coming to a payment agreement. You mentioned them uh, you know, charging you for the rest of your life. You could come to a payment agreement that is not maybe not so onerous. Uh, because one thing they do want to avoid they want to also avoid a lawsuit or bankruptcy, which if the amount of the debt is enough to you to make it worth it to file for bankruptcy or file a lawsuit over it, uh, then that's that's not an outcome that the bank wants. That's not an outcome that the debt collector wants. So that's kind of your ultimate negotiation. Yes, they do have a lot of legal powers to um, try to collect from you and, you know, they there are there are also some legal limits on how much they can harass you about it, um, but one good source for this is a uh, debt debt or bankruptcy lawyer. Uh, they I know we've done a program with um, Coxwell attorneys mm-hmm. who uh, had a lot of great information mm-hmm. about how you know what are your rights as someone who owes money and what are your options as someone who owes money and and. They're often they'll have good resources or be willing to just kind of share something to get you started. Um, you know, nobody wants to go through the bankruptcy process, I guess, except a bankruptcy lawyer. Um, but that that's you know, so so 
all the steps you can take to avoid that, uh, to head that off, uh, that's valuable information. You know what I'd like for us to do, too? I'd like for the public to put the heat on our uh, members of Congress and Senate in Washington and get them to get laws to stop this because that's land of credit. All right, uh, Larry, thanks for the call. That's, you know, and that's a good point is that when something like this comes up, go ahead, lobby your uh, your representatives uh, in the Senate, in the House, and see if there can't be some action taken uh, by the federal government, or I guess you could go with the state government as well. So thanks, Larry. One follow-up question on that is, so once the um, original lender sells the debt to the collection agency, they're out of the equation. Exactly. And it's you and they're the done. They've gotten what they want for their receivables. Uh, they're not even in the picture anymore. They've written it off. Yeah. So. All right, let's stay on the phone lines. Let's go to Christian, who calls in from Flowood. Good morning, Christian. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I wanted to say that a, a lot of the times, a lot of people don't know this, but some of those services, when you check out online and they give you the five easy payments and um, things of that sort, some of those services actually report to the, to the credit union and they'll that'll help kind of mm-hmm. give you a, an easy, simple way of boosting your credit. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. And those kind of buy now, pay later, you, I, I feel like you see them on every website now. You know, oh, four easy payments of $20. Um, and, and those are often, often those do not have interest or fees, but I'm sure that is going to change soon uh, because, look, people got to make money somewhere and, and the store doesn't want to be squeezed for too long. Uh, but that's a very good point. If those are reporting to uh, the credit bureaus, then yes, that is helping you build your credit. Now, those are very, very short term. Those usually only last a few weeks, maybe a couple of months at most. Uh, so it's not kind of a long-term sustainable. It's not a way to get you to from 600 to 800. But yes, as far as getting on that credit ladder, that may help. Um, I don't know which ones in particular do report or which ones don't, uh, but that's a good point. Uh, an easy uh, Finding a, an easy way to access credit without having to have a credit check to start with uh, but that does report that's that's kind of that's got a little bit of value in itself. All right, Christian, thanks for the call. And I would also say, too, that, again, if that helps you establish the idea of paying something that you owe on a timely basis, that that can be helpful as well. Uh, we'll stay on the phone lines. Uh, Brother Daniel calls us from Pascagoula. Good morning, Brother Daniel. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I want to send out, I want to send out blessings to Mississippi. And I'm glad everybody's trying to work together now because them chickens are coming to roost on them lands and everything. So, yes, we're losing a lot of stuff to different countries, but we need to start working together. So, everybody, listen, work together. Work together. Color is not an option. Culture is an option. It's called American culture. Now, when you talked about the check cashing places, there are some that will make sure it goes to your credit. But you need to ask them. Oh, and interesting. They say, well, we, yeah, because I had one with, uh, I don't want to mention the company. I think, you know, I don't know how that works. But one of the companies, uh, they, uh, well, we don't do it, but our office does do it. And their office was in Florida. So I called them. They went ahead and sent me the information of the closed account. And and I, I had them send it to the two credit Experian and uh, 
Equifax, and they did, you know, and then I got a receipt for myself. When you get them receipts on closing that check advance or whatever you're getting, you can send it in yourself. I do that through uh, Credit Karma. Uh, I send it to them. I send it to the, um, they, they have me send it to the Experian and Equifax, and it shows up, and I get credit for it. You, whenever you use these companies, you need to ask them up front and make sure that they do send it. If they don't send it, then you need to ask them, I need the information so I can send it to my, my Equifax. Now, I do have a Chime card. Any bills that I pay through Chimes, they go reported to my credit. So that's Chimes card. What they do is, Every time I pay my insurance, every time I pay uh, one of my other bills, it goes and uh, the credit the credit uh, companies get to see it. I know a lot of people are saying, well, I don't like the idea of the Fed uh, watching over my money and monetizing on it. The reason why this is happening is because there's been so much corruption, so much corruption, people putting money in their pockets. So we have to have a mama and daddy to watch over us and watch over them companies that are trying to take advantage of American citizens. So, America, don't get all upset about the feds. Get upset about them companies that are trying to get over on you than getting upset with the government. We pay taxes for the government to watch over people that are trying to take advantage of us. We are looking at it in the wrong sense, like I heard one of the uh, not to get off the subject too much, I heard one of the politicians said, well, we need to get rid of all these regulations that are messing up business. Listen, them regulations is intact to keep people from corrupting and taking advantage of the citizens. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brother Daniel, good good stuff there. So in other words, the, the bottom line, I think what you're saying was that if you work at it, there are some ways that, you know, that you can use these payday loans and other things to help you build your credit. But it's something that apparently you have to take the initiative uh, to get it done. Yeah, that he was proactive and asked uh, if they were going to report it and even pursued getting his own information so he could self-report. And that's really important because obviously he understands how important it is to have a good credit record. And and that's a good point. And I was just looking at a report <clears throat> from the Consumer Protect, uh, Financial Protection Bureau, consumerfinance.gov. They were talking about uh, all of the, the three major, uh, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, all the three major credit reporting bureaus uh, do have have made plans to accept the buy now, pay later stuff that uh, our previous caller was talking about. Uh, however, how they deal with that information varies. So some may put it on your main credit report, some may not. So when you're, say, going to get a mortgage, that mortgage company might not really care about your buy now, pay later history. They might want to care about bigger stuff, stuff that lasted more than a few weeks. So just because it is being reported doesn't mean it's also being reported into uh, every credit score you have because there's a lot of different ways they can calculate it with using the same information and doesn't mean it's going into the ones that matter. But if it's getting there, that's a that's a that's a start. It's a start at the very least. I don't want to discourage people. Just want to make sure we know that 
just because it's being reported doesn't mean it's going to be an immediate impact or an impact on the particular loan you're looking for. And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was created with the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Bill in 2010 after the financial crisis of 2008 when we had so many questionable lending practices going on. It was designed to protect consumers, just what Brother Daniel was talking about. It is under the Federal Reserve, and they're very... Um, life at this point is before the Supreme Court right now, uh, determining whether or not they can uh, legally exist and be funded. And then they're, uh, while they still do exist, uh, they are a great source of information for folks on this. Um, you know, they are, they are the source for, for a lot of this information. You're listening to MPB Think Radio, and this is Money Talks. When you download the MPB Public Media app, you can listen to this show and all the other local MPB Think Radio shows on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Let's get these last two calls in before we run out of time. We'll start in Alabama. Neil has called in today. Good morning, Neil. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, Neil, we're going to have to. We're having trouble with the phone lines. Um, I can't quite understand what you're saying. Um, if you could hang up, give us a call back. Maybe we'll get a better phone line. And we'll or try maybe to- email the question. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're having trouble hearing. Uh, yeah, so a couple of words I caught were talking about debt collections and legality. I'm not sure uh, where he found that, but there are, again, the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, consumerfinance.gov, uh, they've got some pretty good resources on uh, what uh, tactics that uh, debt collectors use that are not legal to use. So they can't, for instance, pretend to be from the government. They can't imply that it is illegal to not pay uh, your to pay your debts. There's there's a number of things they can't do. There's a number of kind of thing, uh, kind of harassing tactics that they can't do. Um, and they're not allowed to add extra charges to the debt, things like that. Um, Understand that for most people, when they're getting these calls, it's on unsecured debt. Yes. Um, which is debt that there's no property attached to it. They can't come get your pair of shoes, Kevin, if you don't pay your credit card. Um, all credit cards, consumer debt, that, that's unsecured debt. All they can do is damage your credit. And that's, you know, as we've said, you're, maintaining your credit is really important, but they can't come get your stuff. If you don't pay your car payment, if you don't pay your house payment, those are secured debts. You can lose your car. You can lose your house because of that. So there is a difference in that. And I see people all the time, they get harassed by debt collectors so that they end up making payments on a credit card and not having enough to make their payment on their car. That's mm-hmm. a huge mistake. Yeah, that that's a good point. They they can, for the most part, only ask. They can they can sue you as well. That's a little different. But for the most part, they just rely on you getting tired of them and paying them. Exactly. All right. So, Neil, again, as Nancy mentioned, if you wanted to, you could send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Starkville. William has called in today. Earlier, we were talking about uh, foreign ownership of uh, agricultural land in Mississippi. William, what do you have for us? Before I get into that, I, I couldn't, we can't resist making a quick comment about uh, uh, something that uh, Brother Daniels mentioned. Uh, 
a few minutes ago on on taxes. I can't understand how the American people keep electing uh, Congress people persons, Congress representatives that give tax breaks to the people, that, the multi-billionaires that got all the money and leave all the rest of us little folks to, to run, the, supply the taxes that run the company, country. And we can't, we've got to have, have taxes or we're not going to have anything to, anything to drive on or for no conditions, no airports to fly in. We have to pay taxes and should be welcome at Every, any way we can, especially the multi-billionaires. A- anyway, the main point I was going to make about foreign ownership, my, my personal feeling is that we ought to seriously consider letting any NATO ally uh, um, own foreign own foreign land, be foreign owners of land here in the United States with with some uh, with very limited uh, limitations on them, but. The point that I wanted to draw to everybody's attention is that there that there's a situation in Arizona or New Mexico, the the southwest, that is uh, dry and, and very uh, very uh, good uh, growing soil, and the Saudi Arabians who have unlimited <laughs> have more money than anybody else in the whole on the whole planet uh, own property over there. That they pump water out of the Ogallala uh, deep water reservoir beneath those western states, and and depleting it so that it's not going to be there when we need it, if we need it in the future, and and they're growing uh, alfalfa which they ship back to Saudi Arabia to feed their horses, and so we lose doubly. We we've, we've lost this. Uh, superb land and the very limited supply of water in the deep uh, Ogallala uh, water reservoir out there. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. I think that that's something that a gross gross disadvantage to us that we ought to look into seriously. Thank you. I'll uh, listen for your comments. Thanks for your call, William. And I will mention that, as we mentioned earlier, there is a study committee t- talking, about, talking about this on the state level, but also there, I believe, is legislation being considered on the federal level about this foreign ownership of, of farmland. So any comments on William's call? Well, just bearing in mind that any economic policy, again, you're saying we're going to interfere in free markets, and you will do that if there are some um, externalities, some things outside of that system that mean um, that there there's a benefit for uh, regulating uh, or there's a damage that's being done because you're allowing markets to to operate this way. And so what he's talking about is protecting our own resources in this way. And I think there would be a reason to do that. And certainly in this situation with Mississippi farmland, really looking at is it important to protect our uh, homegrown uh, business people and help them to expand their business, or is it important to be able to open up so that they can sell and exit? Yeah, and I mean, he also mentioned water, and of course, water and other resources, uh, mineral rights, and things like that. That is a that's a really big deal, and water in particular, you hear about that every year. In, that's national uh, security, right there, in California, yeah. and in the in the desert uh, southwest. 
All right, about 30 seconds left. What I would like to do is end the show with what I thought was one of the big takeaways that we had from our discussion this morning, and that was what Nancy just said a few minutes ago. When you have debts, you need to make sure you know what is secured and what is not secured. And again, you wouldn't want to go ahead and chase down a credit card debt to the detriment of paying your car note because they can come get the car. But with this unsecured debt, there's not any collateral. So think about what types of, uh, of debt you have when you're trying to work through, you know, priorities for paying them off. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can find it at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.